Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Ann and guest host Nick Opich are chatting with Jeffrey Samuels, Vice President of the Cannabis Practice Ed M. Broker, a digital insurance platform based in the Bay Area. And Broker is one of the few companies that has carved out a space specifically for the marijuana industry. We all know that risk is inherent in cannabis, especially now, and that so much of the legal marijuana industry isn't afforded the basic protections that other industries have access to. And insurance is usually at the top of that list. Jeff walks the team through issues that are vital to anyone in the industry right now, including basic insurance coverage, how to protect against something like the COVID-19 pandemic, and how to think about the future of your business. If you're an operator or ancillary service provider or anyone invested in the space, this is an especially great one to listen to. Now on to the Green Rush's conversation within brokers, Jeff Samuels. So it's not often that we talk about insurance on the podcast, and that's mostly because in the in the cannabis industry, um, a lot of these companies and individuals don't have access to traditional insurance the way you know a pharmaceutical company or an alcohol company or banking company um, may have. So this is a really important topic at a really important time. Um, and today we um, are chatting with Jeff Samuels from M Broker. Um, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. It's really um, really great to talk to you, and it's so encouraging that a company like M Broker has a cannabis division. So can you tell us what Embroker is and what you specifically do? Absolutely. Uh, and thank you so much for having me today, Anne uh, and team. Definitely appreciate it. Um, so I, I'm the vice president of the cannabis practice at Embroker. Uh, and Embroker is a digital insurance platform. Uh, and so we're focused on supporting high growth businesses. Uh, we make it easier to apply, purchase, renew, endorse insurance policies. Uh, and I like to say we're a mix of technology and then human capital and people like myself who are subject matter experts uh, in industries like cannabis. We have a large tech practice. Uh, we have lawyers and accountants. Um, so different areas where, uh, again, we mix human capital with technology to make the insurance process easier. That that all is great. Um, so tell us about, I, I'm assuming that you guys didn't have cannabis originally as one of your, your divisions. So can you talk about um, both, was it you that brought uh, uh, up the, the topic of cannabis as something that uh, in brokers should be offering? Um, talk about how that uh, kind of came about. For sure. Um, so I think our, our CEO certainly should be credited for that. Uh, and so Matt Miller, uh, really awesome uh, entrepreneur and, and brain and, and the business is uh, headquartered in San Francisco. Uh, so I think with that California uh, mentality and, and home base uh, and Matt just being uh, open and kind of a, a forward thinking guy, it was already an area that uh, the team was um, supporting, uh, although not as, as broad as it is today. Um, I actually was at a competing in a, a smaller shop uh, in New York City, uh, and early on, I uh, engaged with uh, Canopy Boulder. Uh, and so going back almost six years ago at this point, um, 
you know, I, I was focusing on tech startups. I started having success um, with other, um, you know, ancillary businesses in the cannabis space. And I realized it was a phenomenal opportunity. Um, and so I, I actually grew my own network and, and knowledge of the industry elsewhere. Uh, and once I realized that um, I wasn't really getting the support and that M Broker was kind of this business that was forward thinking, they again had that really interesting mix of technology and human capital. And furthermore, uh, Matt Miller really was a, a big um, advocate to support cannabis. I thought it was the perfect place for me to, you know, move my client base and in, in my uh, area of expertise. Uh, and so I, I think it was kind of a, uh, the perfect point for me to come over to M Broker where they had a little bit of existing knowledge on the space. And I was able to uh, obviously build that out and, and build more of a focus for the company. I think that, you know, uh, <laughs> Our our podcast format has changed, you know, so much over the last five or six weeks that, you know, uh, you know, we had we had been talking about, you know, the struggling issues of, you know, uh, of the cannabis industry before COVID, you know, um, and so I, I'm just wondering, like now it's now it's time to address the elephant in the room. But as as you know, this global pandemic continues to spread and and you know shut down parts of the U.S. I mean, we're talking on um, April 17th, and now there's kind of chatter of of some states starting to open up. Um, you know, whether that's good or bad is not for this podcast. But what has the impact been on the cannabis? industry thus far? I imagine you're really busy these days. Absolutely. Uh, yes, I, you know, starting, you know, kind of the first, second week in March when this, this really hit, um, at least for me, New York city, where, where I'm based out of, um, you know, I think the, the first kind of week or, or two, three weeks into it, a lot of the clients that, that we had were coming with questions about, what, what is our insurance coverage? What, what did we either, if they weren't, you know, hundred percent familiar with like, you know, remind me of what we purchased. What do I have that's, that's in place that can react to something like this and how should I be thinking about the future? Uh, and so, yeah, you know, the, the first couple of weeks we were absolutely slammed. Um, and again, I'm, I'm very thankful that, you know, insurance and, and, and broker as a business is um, stable and, and we were able to, to support our clients there. Um, but I, I think that that was really the initial feedback was let's dig into the policies, you know, have very specific conversations with each individual client, look at, you know, are they an ancillary business? Are they a multi-state operator? What sort of licenses they have? And then starting to break down, you know, how does COVID impact their business models and, and what sort of changes do they have to make to operate? Um, so, you know, I think when, once we worked through, those uh, questions and, and really digging into the details of the policies, uh, people started to calm down. I wouldn't say operate as business as usual, uh, but one of the more interesting things that I'm seeing as a result of COVID is you know, our bigger multi-state operator clients who, you know, in some locations they have a thriving brick and mortar dispensary. And now all of a sudden overnight, these guys are doing delivery. Uh, and so for us on the insurance end, that brings a whole new slew of risks that we have to obviously um, update, amend, add new policies. Um, so th there is a lot of that, and that continues to be the case, um, uh, being that we support you know people in, in all 50 states. Um, and so I think that that's been the biggest impact to my client base is really let's do a review first. Let's make sure, you know, if you guys have claims or if you have questions on the policies, we, we dig into those. And then beyond that, 
if your business model has changed, what new risks do the business um, does the business now have to think about, and how can we insure against those? Uh, and so that that's been a large majority of my work uh, the past two months. Uh, it's interesting that you say that there's there's new risk, um, you know, in, involved in things like you know offering delivery or curbside pickup, where you know that may not have been something that a that a company had thought of before, or or was was interested in doing before, and it kind of makes it you have to do it now, and you have to be able to adapt. Um, I guess I was thinking that risk overall was being a little bit constricted because um, you just don't have as many people, you know, go working. You don't have as many people, you know. Um, I guess going about their daily life and whatever risk that brings. So you're actually seeing an increase um, in the inherent risk in these businesses versus like the auto industry where they're saying, look, you know, the, the risk out there has decreased. So we're refunding some of your premiums. That is that is opposite of what you're telling me, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a mix of both where, you know, we, we also have smaller direct consumer CBD companies, for example, Um so I, I would say for them, maybe their risk has minimized, but maybe not if they're still like their primary method of selling product is, is through e-commerce. Um, but I think the other thing that's happening, uh, and again, I'm, th I'm thinking about, you know, some of my bigger MSO clients um, as they make these changes. And, you know, if they do, let's say they, they just shut down their dispensary or they shut down a manufacturing facility, um, there are people who are, are furloughed. There are people who are losing jobs. And, and obviously that's a whole new um, kind of category of risk there that falls into something uh, called employment practices, liability, uh, or even workers comp if they are still working and people are getting sick. Um, so, you know, there, there, there's always risk. And I think like if, if a company's doors are completely shut, um, yeah, maybe you can argue that, that it's a lower risk. But at the same time, you know, the people who are signing checks and making decisions and own those companies have a fiduciary responsibility to their employees. Um, and so if they don't, you know, operate in, in the right manner, um, you know, again, things like workers comp and employment practices are areas where even if the business is closed, there's still decisions that are being made that impact um, the, the risk of the business and liabilities on the owners of those businesses. Um, so, you know, not, not to, sh to scare people, but I, I think it really just changes how we look at the business and how we break down the model of, you know, okay, people are not coming into stores, uh, but now we're thinking about our employees who are doing curbside and they're still interacting behind, you know, behind the doors. Um, so it, it's just a, an interesting kind of new way to look at the, the businesses. I want to switch the conversation a little bit towards some of the the smaller businesses operating within the cannabis space. One of the trends that we've seen, I think, overall is that you know some of these small businesses were underinsured or just didn't have the right insurance, getting ready for you know a crisis of this magnitude. How much of that have you seen uh, amongst the small businesses? Were they were they in a position to be protected, or was the the fact that they couldn't access some traditional insurance services has that really hindered them? Sure. So. You know, I, I think all, all this comes down to the individual owner, obviously. Uh, and for us, it, it's really interesting when you're going through the insurance application phase uh, and depending on the level of data we're getting. And, you know, again, let, let's take a you know, small dispensary. If they have uh, standard operating procedures in place that these guys are operating off of and, you know, they have things like an employee handbook, 
those are the businesses that are less uh, taken aback by a pandemic and something that is coming out of left field to, to impact and really change how they're operating. Um, and so for, for people like that, it's more maybe reducing their projected revenues for the year, which actually uh, reduces it, the insurance costs. Um, then on the flip side, you know, it's cannabis. So when we're, I'm looking at Risk maybe is a, a new, uh, 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 of course, you know, again, I, and, I, and I love it. And, and that's why it's interesting. Um, but if you look at a new market like in Oklahoma or like Mass, as they have uh, rolling applications or even Illinois, these operators are new, so, some of these people. And so maybe they haven't even finished going through the, the process of acquiring or, or talking to a risk management expert, um, which is a whole nother game. So, um, you know, again, it, it always comes down to the individual manager. I think those who are, are going to survive this are the ones that, you know, before they set up the business or while they were um, looking to acquire their licenses, they knew standard operating procedures, employee handbooks, you know, OSHA and, and kind of risk control. Like these, these things are critical to, you know, the longevity of the business. Um, so I, I think it, it, it's really a variance and it's, it's telling how the companies come into it and if they're able to withstand um, COVID. So you're, you're talking about wanting to, you know, go and, and see, speaking with a risk manager. What other kind of steps can can these smaller businesses that maybe are trying to explore this do? Yeah, I, I think uh, obviously legal is, is critical. Um, and, and, you know, for us, especially for me, I have a, a bunch of uh, partners and a few very specific partners uh, in New York that are, are phenomenal resources. Um, so, so talking to people like that, talking to, you know, accountants, um, and then, you know, beyond insurance and, and stuff that we actually do offer in house, uh, they're also, uh, risk management companies that they're not necess necessarily selling policies, but they're the type of businesses that come in, they'll look at your facilities and kind of tell you things and, um, areas where you can improve to reduce risk. Um, so I, I, I would say, you know, the ancillary services that are well known. Uh, but definitely at the top of that, you know, talk talk to your lawyers, talk to your accountants, make sure that, you know, your your service providers who um, have operated and have kind of lived through uh, other issues in other industries are able to talk from experience uh, because, you know, cannabis has never seen COVID uh, obviously before. So this is new for a lot of people, but I think it's important to be able to rely on uh, those people who have experience outside of the industry and can talk from, uh, from that point. Let's talk big picture here. And, um, you know, cannabis companies are as of now, you know, not eligible for the small business loans. Actually. So I think the small business loans are tapped. So I think, um, Nancy Pelosi and, and, um, the house are looking to introduce this phase four. Um, and I don't know the details of it, this, you know, as of this morning, there could have been news on it and, and I just, I'm not there yet. Um, but <laughs> there's lots of stuff going on and I know that, you know, Earl Blumenauer, yeah, is really pushing for, you know, legally operating cannabis, um, companies in the state should be eligible for that. So, um, are you, th what's your feeling on, you know, do you think they're going to, that, that this is going to work, that that's going to get, get through the house. And you think it's something that can, I'm asking you a political question now, but do you think that this is something that, that, uh, that this, the Senate and the house and, you know, beyond have an appetite for? 
Yeah, it's, it, I mean, obviously a great question. Um, and so I'll, I'll answer in, in two different ways. Um, first and foremost, um, I believe if my, my information is correct, that hemp businesses are um, viable for or were yeah. viable for PPP and other things. So, you know, I think obviously a lot of businesses in this space are, are in both categories, if you will. Um, so interesting because how does, you know, canopy growth, although today they, they're talking about the news kind of <laughs> divesting yeah. uh, in, in, in hemp, but like, maybe not the best you know, example, but yeah. <laughs> right. Right. But I, I think, you know, the point of uh, companies have assets in, in both hemp and cannabis. So can, you know, I, I think it's a good thing that under hemp, at least um, they can apply there. Um, you know, it, a few days ago, I was actually watching CNN while I was doing some work. It was in the background. And I've been a member of NCIA, I think, I want to say four or five years now. Uh, and I'm on the risk management insurance committee there. And I actually saw on the ticker NCIA, you know, pushing a bill um, for federal, uh, the safe banking, uh, which kind of goes hand in hand because um, obviously if, if safe banking passes, and I think with so many states claiming cannabis as an essential business, to me, you know, this is a no brainer. Yes, absolutely. We want to see cannabis companies benefit from paycheck protection and, and other uh, financial services that, that are being offered. Uh, so yeah, you know, it, it obviously helps my clients. It, it helps us kind of stay in business too. Uh, and I wholeheartedly believe that um, they, they deserve it. Um, and furthermore, I actually even posted this on LinkedIn today uh, about Illinois specifically, but you know, my, my belief is that beyond this and, and when we do come out of the other side, um, you know, looking at my home state of, of New York, looking at New Jersey, you know, cannabis brings jobs and tax revenue and the country is going to need this more than ever. Uh, and I think, you know, being off, able to offer the paycheck protection now and again, the, the other services and then looking on the, the you know, once we're able to fight through and, and kind of get to the other end of COVID, I, I see the, the, the country leaning hard, or they should at least be thinking about leaning on cannabis as one of those areas that can, again, put people back to work and bring in significant tax revenue. Um, but we definitely, you know, obviously we need the support on um, them passing things like safe banking, uh, giving us access to, to just you know, traditional business resources that any other industry has access to. Um, so I think obviously super interesting coming into the election. And um, again, my, my personal opinion, I, I think uh, both candidates, um, if they were wise, would would be you know pushing hard to include cannabis as, as part of their plans going forward to, to come out of Corona. Well, I think it's really interesting that it has been deemed this essential service yet. No one, you know, they're, they're not, uh, eligible for any of the other benefits that other essential services are afforded. So it's kind of hard to go backwards. I mean, one would hope. So the, uh, you know, one of the other, you know, being from New York, the, the country is having a, you know, a love affair with your governor, um, who has uh, me included. I mean, and, um, you know, my, my brother-in-law who listens to the show, um, I think pretty religiously, um, just got a puppy and they named it, um, Bucky Andrew Cuomo. So, I mean, he's having a moment 
He's having a moment. Um, but he's traditionally not been great on cannabis. I mean, he could have gotten it done if he if if even if he did the, the, the bare minimum, which was which which is to just, you know, put the heft of the of the office behind it. Um, and he didn't do that. So, I mean, do you think that he's going to take this any more seriously, you know, come November? Another excellent question. And, you know, I think historically from, from what I know about um, his politics, um, you know, pre this and, and even going back, you know, three, four years, he, he was very anti-cannabis. Um, and again, from my personal perspective and just being involved in uh, things like Canada gather super early in New York and, and high and why before that and, and revel going to these networking group uh, groups, um, Cynthia Nixon made a huge impact on New York mm-hmm. cannabis mm-hmm. Uh, and whether, you know, people took it serious or not of, of her, um, you know, having a shot there, she really made Cuomo have to double back and, and say, okay, like we, I'm going to support this. This is something that will be part of my plans uh, if I'm reelected. So, you know, I think New York and, and, you know, also you can look at New Jersey where uh, Phil Murphy ran and, and he was elected um, under the guise of, you know, cannabis um, and a, a adult use was one of the areas that he was going to expand upon. Um, so I think those kind of two things, um, at least coming into 2020, uh, have an impact on Cuomo. Um, I did see, you know, on the, on the grassroots level, which again, like I, I love getting involved and I've been going to these events for six years now. Um, and so it, people were getting pumped about it and people believed it was finally time. And, you know, seeing, um, you know, people like Axel Barnaby in, in LA or at these different events a- across the country and, and seeing people who are close to the governor finally paying attention, it looks like, you know, it could potentially ha- had legs this year. Um, but I guess the, just to, to end my thought, you know, obviously first and foremost is, is the health and safety of the, the people in New York and living in New York city. I, I think Cuomo's done a great job so far. And so I understand like why it got punted and why it wasn't in the, uh, the last budget. Um, but I, you know, I, I think going back historically, he wasn't a fan. Cynthia Nixon really forced it as well as, um, surrounding, uh, states that were, were starting to pick it up. Um, and I, again, I, I think coming out of this, obviously New York lost a ton of money and spending a ton of money. Um, and, and this is an industry that can be leaned upon to, to hopefully, uh, to support and, and, and bring back jobs and tax revenue. I think you've made a, a great point there, Jeff, about, you know, the, the way that this can really help kickstart the, the economy on, on the, on the different States levels. I think if we go back to, you know, January, February, we were, getting really excited that it looked like this November there was going to be a lot of different types of cannabis legislation going to be on the ballot for 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 folks to vote on. How much were you guys watching that pre the COVID crisis? And then do you th- still think that there is going to be um, a good wave of, of cannabis legislation um, hitting the hitting the ballots in November that will help kickstart the economy? Like, and are there any specific states you're watching? Sure. So, you know, again, I think at least for New York, it's really hard to tell right now what what is going to happen um, now, is just especially because that's uh, obviously the epicenter. Uh, if you look at Jersey, that's on the ballot. That's interesting that the people are voting on it this year. Uh, you know, J- Jersey, I actually have 
further involvement, even even just from an investment standpoint, uh, with with a, a business out in Jersey called Hillview, um, and, and so, you know, I, yeah, I, I think we're we're going to see uh, again. I, I think the president, the um, the presidential candidates, and and uh, President Trump. This is this is a topic that needs to be talked about. Uh, and to me, like again, yet the other day when I was watching CNN, just seeing NCIA on the ticker of CNN, <laughs> yeah, that's was, amazing. Was, was exciting. <laughs> I was like, is this the same group I'm a part of? Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's all interesting stuff. And you know, I think just as like a, a cannabis entrepreneur, which you guys are as well, I'm I'm reading the trades. I'm reading the newsletters every single day. Uh, so I'm probably more biased than most on how, um, you know, the, the states are going to look at cannabis. But I, I think that the trouble now is obviously prioritizing health and safety of, of people and, and kind of, you know, how do we get through and then clean up whatever COVID does to local and, and you know, n- nationally. Um, and then, like, how do you introduce the conversation of cannabis once again Um being that there's so many problems there. So I think it's going to be really important to kind of have like an, a unified voice. Uh, and, and again, like I, I don't want to get into my own personal political opinion, but I, I think it's going to be. Do interesting it. To see how- <laughs> do it, Jeff. <laughs> you know, do whatever you're comfortable I think, with. <laughs> um, but I, I think Joe Biden has a lot to figure out. Uh, and, and the Democrats have, you know, again, if you look at, some of these other states and the amount of work that Democrats have done there from a cannabis perspective um, for Biden to come out the gate and, and not to support, support the industry, I think is is probably not a, a good idea. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that he changes his tune there. I mean, I d- it does seem that, you know, on a number of issues that he's been pushed left. Um, so, I mean, uh, let uh, hopefully he can, you know, I, I think that would be a really tough call for him to to go, to not change his mind. I mean, he's kind of done it in a lukewarm way, but, you know, I guess we'll see. But, you know, if we're looking back at, at 2020, the cannabis industry didn't start out in a really good spot anyway. Um, you know, the, the access to capital was drying up and, and companies, you know, are ha- it's a very capital intensive business and companies are having a really hard time scaling. Um, you know, and now some are saying it's going to be, you know, well, everyone's saying it's going to be difficult to recover from, from this pandemic and the ensuing recession. Are you, do how do you expect this crisis to impact the market overall? Do you have a crystal ball or any thoughts you want to share there? Or, I mean, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a hard question, but you know what? There you go. <laughs> I, 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 thank you, Ann. I, I, <laughs> no problem. I wish I, I had a, a crystal ball because I think uh, so many of us uh, or anybody who's invested in the public side of their business would, would be in a much different position. Um, and I, you know, if we look back at, at 2019, we, we had a couple of different things happening. First, first half of the year was was actually awesome. The stocks were on fire. Uh, still, um, a lot of M&A, like huge M&A deals, which I know you guys support mm-hmm. a bunch of these clients um, on, the, on the you know MSO side of things. And then we have the vape crisis. And then you know the, the stock fallout and the, the you know end of last year, beginning of this year, and then COVID. So I think you know, all of these things compounded, but really like starting with the, the vape crisis and, and kind of coming into this year, it totally changed the, the playing field. 
Um, and we were already hearing things about companies like, you know, MedMen and, and Canopy and, and other, you know, acreage and, and other you know, big companies who are trying to uh, reduce their, their capital expenditures. And, and um, you're seeing kind of sale leasebacks and all sorts of interesting financial moves there. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think this is a time where you will see um, people and maybe some not as well-known entities who have purchased things like a SPAC and are slowly acquiring businesses and, and people are not so familiar with these names yet. Um, but I do think there will be a new wave of power players uh, to come in to purchase and, and do a lot of M&A around um, uh, assets that are obviously in, in um, you know, poor financial ch- shape and, and need to exit in one way or another. Um, so there's it, it obviously a lot of blood in the water and there's a lot of sharks who have been quietly studying the industry. Um, and so I think, again, that consolidation will happen. And I don't think it's going to be the consolidation that the industry initially thought, you know, five years back with these Canadian power players. Mm-hmm. I think the game is going to yep. be much, much different. Um, and I also think, you know, there, there are companies that, um, you know, like a, I have some friends of mine at a company called Pure Life in New Mexico. I don't know how many licenses they have, but there's so many different companies that are able to successfully operate their business within their state uh, and own the, that you know market and, and focus on their market share there without everybody trying to be an MSO. And so I think there's going to be um, kind of a, an evolution back to single state operators who have good business plans, who are you know financially savvy and have a lower uh, capital expense and are able to survive. Um, and I'm really excited to see those businesses um, hopefully thrive in, in a new market. Um, so I think th- that those are the two areas, new M&A from new players uh, and also single state operators operating independent and, and hopefully uh, being able to survive. I think you, I I think you answered my follow-up that I was thinking of, but, but, you know, do you, so do you think that, um, that any of the existing players, can you see any of them, you know, becoming the Amazon or do you see the Amazon.coms or do you see most of the industry? Well, this isn't a great question, but most of the industry as it exists now becoming like the pets.com. So is, are, are there, do you think outside forces are going to come in, um, you know, and either, existing industries like pharma or, or beverage or consumer packaged goods are going to come in and, and, you know, pick at the bones of this industry? Or do you think that, you know, there's a sleeping giant among the, the multi-state operators as they exist now? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it's going to be a mix of both, uh, to be honest. I think, you know, obviously so many of these, these, uh, MSOs have investment from pharma or tobacco mm-hmm. or, you know, whoever else. So again, like uh, uh, people in the industry, we, we all know this and we've all been talking about this for years and years. Again, there's blood in the water where there's probably going to be assets available for, for sale for cheap. So yes, it, it's a good time for them to come in. You still have that buffer of this is not federally legal. So I think that until that, that is addressed and solved, you know, they're, they're still going to be tiptoeing around it. Um, I also think, you know, some of the existing MSOs and and multinational MSOs, there's obviously a ton of savvy people. A lot of these entities have kind of recycled their um, C-suite. 
And so, so yeah, they, they can still, you know, very much be the Coke or Pepsi or whatever brand they want to be in this space. Um, but you know, again, I, like my biggest thing is that I think this is the reset right now. Um, and I, I think what we were missing before this was really like, you know, the people operating these massive companies, I think they were out of touch with the consumer and like the heart of heart and soul of, of cannabis. Um, and so I, I'm excited when I see brands like a cookies, who's kind of coming in and saying like, Hey, you know, we, we're cannabis culture. We're, we're California cannabis culture. I'm excited to see that come out of New York. Cause I think, you know, we, we need to support those sort of businesses and, um, not to say that the, the, the wall street run cannabis companies don't have a, um, you know, space in the industry, but I think they were missing some of the point, especially on the consumer end. And I think that led to them overspending on areas that weren't necessarily a fit for, uh, for the consumer. I think that's a, a great point that, that you just made there, that uh, kind of tension between the, the suits and the traditional, you know, advocate supporters of cannabis, that, that it seemed like we were really reaching ahead there about those those two going at each other. So, yeah, when you talk about like like a cookies or some of these smaller brands being able to use this as an opportunity to kind of carve out that niche, I think you're 100 percent right that this is a reset and something that, you know, they, they can really grow. And going back to one of your previous answers, Jeff, I'm really glad you brought up the vape crisis because. I, in my head, it seems like, oh, that was years ago. But no, that was, that, that actually was just a couple months ago. Just last and, year. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, you forget that kind of thing. Um, but I, I want you to stare into your crystal ball again. And, you know, as we go past the, 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 the COVID crisis, as let's even look past the, um, the election in November and we're, we're back to kind of a regular operating, uh, uh, as a society, what does a healthy insurance market actually look like for the cannabis industry? Sure. Um, so right now without getting into too much insurance lingo, um, you know, cannabis is obviously a, a niche and, and a specialty business. It's, you know, for insurance to be able to underwrite a business, you need uh, historical data so that you can understand the loss and that the carriers can price it accordingly. Um, so as software as a service became more and more of a mainstay within technology, that used to be kind of a, a hard concept for underwriters and bigger carriers to understand. Now, now it's not. They get it. Um, same thing with on-demand um, or, um, you know, kind of like Airbnb, Uber business models where at first, super hard. They didn't get it. How do we assess the risk? Where's the data? Now they have data. And so, you know, I think we're, we're in a place in cannabis right now where the majority of um, the insurance options available are from uh, these kind of niche markets that um, for us as brokers, we have to go through a wholesale market, so we can't necessarily go direct to the carrier. Um, again, without getting into the, the insurance nuance of it, this is traditionally how uh, niche businesses have been insured. Um, probably the biggest wholesale market uh, that people not uh, for, uh, familiar with insurance would know would be Lloyd's of London, which a, a lot of people credit to like Lloyd's of London created insurance. Um, so, you know, I, I think again, it, it goes back to the federal status and, and banking. Um, bigger insurance carriers cannot come into this space until the, you know, again, the federal banking is available to them. Once they can do that, I think that means that there are more products available. There's more competitive pricing. There's less exclusions. Um, 
And so I think that's kind of like the, the perfect world that we get to. Um, but I will say, you know, just doing this for the last five and a half, six years, the products have improved. There are more people on the insurance side that actually understand and, and, you know, like myself love this business. Um, so there, there has been a lot of improvement, but I think, you know, crystal ball or, or where I would like the business to go is just more access to products and being able to uh, go direct to carriers uh, to offer, you know, a, a little bit of a better service and improve, uh, especially around the, the pricing. Okay, Jeff, last question. And it's one that we ask everybody. Um, but it's, but it's kind of turned on its head. So because COVID turns everybody, everything on, on upside down here. So while, you know, all of the media is focused on COVID, what do you think, um, the, the media is overlooking when it comes to cannabis? So, you know, what news, this is the the question we traditionally ask, what is, you know, if you were to open up the, the front page of the wall street journal or the New York times, what's the one story about cannabis you would like to see? I can relate it back to community and how even in times like this and, and not to make this about COVID, but you know, this is something that brings people together. And, you know, for me during this crisis, instead of reaching for liquor, like I I am reaching (laughs) towards, towards cannabis. And, and, you know, I think so many people and, and obviously looking at, things like BDS analytics and, and seeing, um, you know, that, that sort of trend be confirmed by data. You know, this, this is something that people use medically. This is something that people use recreationally, but I think at the end of the day, it's about community and and it brings people together. And I think, you know, especially during COVID, if you look at all the different demographics who are using cannabis to get through this time, like that to me is the story. Cause it's not just, you know, somebody who, you know, is like 18 year old high school kid or college person or urban or suburban or whatever. It, it's everybody all the way through, you know, grandparents to, to, mm-hmm. to, you know, people that are in college. And I think that that's the important part of it to me is like, you know, cannabis is not for one specific group or demographic. It's for everybody. And I think, we're getting to the point every single day in the media, um, in Netflix shows, in Instagram, that people are, are, you know, more and more sharing how they interact with cannabis. Uh, and that it, it again, is, is much broader than initially, I think, that the media made it out to be. Well, I'd read that story. Yeah, I'd read that story. Jeff, Thank you so much. You've been great um, and so generous with your time. Um, if people want to find you, where should they find you? Awesome. Uh, yeah, please uh, check out mbroker.com and you guys will see there we have uh, a, a beautiful cannabis landing page. Uh, you can also reach me at jeff.samuels, S-A-M-U-E-L-S, at mbroker.com. Hit me up anytime. Uh, and I'm also super active on LinkedIn. So any of those uh, methods that I should be able to be reached. Great. Thank you so much, Jeff. Awesome. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks to Jeff Samuels, vice president of the cannabis practice at Imbroker. Make sure you go check them out at Imbroker.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter at our handle at the 
the underscore green rush or on Instagram at the green rush underscore podcast. Uh, feel free to drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We're always looking for feedback and guest ideas or, you know, different topics that you think would be really important to listen to during the COVID crisis. And don't forget to subscribe to Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take.